0: Well, two weeks ago, we covered some introductory material to the book of Philippians, and before we take of the Lord's Supper today, I want to kind of wrap that up for us today, uh, as long as we have enough uh, time. We saw uh, two weeks ago that Paul gave an introduction that would have been common for the ancient world. In other words, he begins his letter in a very common way during that time. He, he began by identifying himself as the author. He then identified the, the audience to whom he was writing uh, then followed by this initial address, this short little address. And, 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 and we said that even though he begins his letter in a very common way, that would have been very familiar, this was no ordinary introduction. There was no, and, and the reason for it is because this was no ordinary author. This was the Apostle Paul. This was, I mean, a rock star of the Christian faith. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is probably no greater influence on Christianity than Paul the greatest missionary who ever lived, a man who had written more books in the Bible than any other human author. Uh, this is a man who, who, who has formed our basic theologies, and in, in really all of our theology, with the book of Romans, and so on and so forth. But yet, when he introduces himself as the author of all the accolades and all the titles that he could have used to convey himself, what did he use? He used this, he said, I am a servant of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what we did that whole, whole morning is we just unpacked the idea is that this is what God has called us to. The one thing that we want to be known for is servants of Jesus Christ. And the way that we know that we are servants of Jesus Christ is we are faithfully serving one another in a lost and dying world that is around us. Many people are running from service, but God's people run to service. Service. And we talked about that the first week. And so, what we want to do now in, in, in kind of finishing up this introduction is we've seen that this is no ordinary author, but now we want to take a look at the fact that this is also no ordinary audience, and this is no ordinary initial introduction, all right, or initial address. So, let's look at those two things together. First of all, let's look at this was no ordinary audience to whom Paul was writing. In the second part of verse 1, follow along with. With me, he says, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, when he references all the saints, he's referring to all the believers of Jesus Christ there in the city of Philippi in that church of that day. Contrary to common teaching within the Roman Catholic Church, if that was your upbringing, uh, the, the, the word, the term saint is not reserved for some super uh, class of Christian. Instead, a saint, according to the word of God, is every born-again, regenerate believer in Jesus Christ. So if you are a believer, you are a saint. Okay, you are a saint. Now, you sit back and go, okay, but what does that mean? What, what exactly does that mean? Well, the term saint literally means uh, uh, holy ones, or more specifically, those to whom have been set apart for specific purpose that's the idea of of being a saint or a holy one and we really find the meaning of this word it's originated in the old testament just just follow along with me for a second in exodus 19 and 5 through 6 god refers to israel as a kingdom of priests and note this a holy nation do you see it a kingdom, okay, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A set apart for the purposes of God's nation, all right? Then, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, note what he says. He says, for I am the Lord... He says, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Do you see the picture? Here's an act of God. He's taking them out of slavery and he's setting them apart to do what? To live for him, to be holy as as God is holy. So the first thing we see about this idea of saint, this title of saint that God gives to every believer is that it's first and foremost a position. It's not something, a title that we earn. It's not something that we gain when we just do enough good things, then all of a sudden we somehow work for this title of saint. Instead, it is a position that is given to us based not on our work, but based on the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's why he uses this phrase, saints. Notice the phrase, in Jesus Christ. So, what happens is we are set apart by God. Now, note this, listen, based. On the completed work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through his work, God has separated us now from a life of sin, from slavery of sin, from bondage of sin, and now he has set us apart for us to live a life that is consistent with God's nature and who he has ultimately called us to be. So it is this, 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 um, this position that we have that we've been granted. So you and I are saints, I and will forever now be known in our church as Saint Michael. All right. You address me as Saint Michael. I will address you as Saint Steve, right? Right, Saint Anna, uh a Saint Bubba. We probably have five or six of those, right? Right. And Yuli, right? Hey, look, I'm trying to contextualize. All right. So so we we have that we're we're all saints. This is who Paul is writing to. When he says to all the saints, he wants them to understand, you are who you are because of the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, It's their position. But there's a second part of being a saint. It's not only the position that is given to us, it is also a practice, a practice that we seek to be able to live out. In other words, these weren't people that were just, hey, hey, man, that's fantastic. Hey, we've been saved. God has done all of this stuff. Hey, we are great. We're good. We're fine. They understood, and we're going to see this in the study of Philippians, that they had to work out what God worked in. God gave them and granted them and gave them His spirit and set them apart from sin, but now they have to work diligently at living out who it is that God has now made them. That takes work. You guys got that, right? And so what we find is they're going to work it out. And the way that they do is they seek to submit themselves fully and completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Over all else, they're seeking to obey God and to be what God has called them to be. And, and so 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 note this we are being set apart. This is how God has called us to be. We are in Christ Jesus. That's why we are ultimately these saints that God has called us to be. Now, Paul loves to use this phrase in Christ Jesus. Loves to use it. All those who are in Christ Jesus. That means that all those who have been saved by grace through faith alone are in Christ Jesus. And to understand the new position that we have, what we first have to understand then is we have to understand that this position um, has changed. We have to understand who we were at one time and who we are now. If we are now in Christ Jesus, who were we in before? The Bible answers that. The Bible says that you were in Adam, is who we were. Now, who was Adam? He was the first human being. We understand that, but he was more than that. He was also our spiritual representative. He was perfect, the only man apart from Christ who was ever perfect. He was the best that humanity had to offer, and so he was our representative. So as it would go with Adam, it would also go with us. Listen to this. He was our representative. Where he succeeded, the rest of us would succeed. Where he would fail, the rest of us would ultimately fail. And what did he do? He failed. He failed. The best that humanity had failed. He was, he was tempted and he sinned against God. Now, that is the bad news. Why? Because when he sins, he can no longer be in fellowship with God because of his sin. God's righteous wrath is now being stored up to pour out on Adam in judgment. That is bad news for Adam, but it's bad news for every one of us. Because every one of us who came afterward, we were born underneath that same condemnation. We were born underneath that same judgment of God and that wrath of God was storing up for the day of judgment as well for all of us. You say, that's not fair. Why? Well, we were born into this. Yes, but the Bible also says that we willfully sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same place. And so when we were in Adam before we're born again, we are under the wrath of God. But Bible gives good news. Here's the good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us very clearly that there is a second or last Adam Those are terms that reference Jesus Christ. They're they're terms for Jesus himself. And so what we find is, is that Jesus came to do all that Adam failed to do. Where Adam failed to obey God completely, Jesus succeeded. And in doing so, he undid all that Adam's sin did through the work of Adam. And we were enslaved to sin. And through Jesus Christ, we are freed. Or notice this, we are now set apart unto God. We are freed from being enslaved to sin in the place of sin, and now he has a new place with us. We're set apart for his glory. That is our position, and it needs to be our practice. It needs to be our practice. The Saint that these people were doing all they could, and we're going to see this as we work through the book, to live out that reality. Not just to have a name, but to make it true in the way that they lived each and every day. Notice this phrase when he says, who are at Philippi? The saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi. When you first read that, you begin to understand. You begin to think, at least at first, okay, they're just telling us where they live. They're just giving their address. But it's more than that. He's demonstrating that there's a tension for all the saints in this world. And that is that they are citizens of Rome. They're physical citizens of Philippi. But yet, Paul will say in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, that there is a greater citizenship, that is that we are citizens of heaven. Now, notice the difference between those things. To be a citizen of heaven, a perfect, sinless, God-honoring place, but at the same time, physically, are we citizens of Philippi, of this earth, and it is fallen, sinful, and God-despising culture. What Paul is saying is, and what these people were trying to live out, is they were trying to demonstrate their greatest allegiance was to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person who has been set apart by God and has that position is striving every single day to live according to that citizenship. You and I, and it's a struggle, is it not? We're working and we're learning and we're understanding the grace of God and the commands of God and we're fighting and that's what this church was doing. It wasn't just their position, it was also their practice to be able to live this life out in the world in which they were. So it was their position, it was their practice. Let me say one more thing. It was also their plan. It was also their plan. God's plan to win a lost and dying world was through the, was through the power of the gospel and through the purity of his people. You take the purity of God's people living as saints because of a position that they've received in Christ, and they're living it out practically, submitting to God in every area of their life. They take that, and then they share the gospel, and that's the sweet spot where the world around us begins to change. The culture begins to change. Did you hear that? All right, let me, let me back up a little bit. I could tell I'm not being as clear as I ought to be. God's plan has always been in reaching people, even though there's tons of books out there telling us how we ought to reach people, which I appreciate, by the way. I appreciate any book that's, that's trying to strive how do we reach this culture for Jesus Christ. Would you admit? Would you, would you, I, I, even if it's wrong, at least I appreciate that they're trying to make some kind of effort. Here's God's plan. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here has always been God's plan since the Old Testament to get a remnant of people for himself who live in a way that is consistent with the nature of God. And the Old Testament, all of those laws, eating laws, what they could eat, what they could drink, how they could live, what they could do, was all to be able to show a lost and dying world around them what their God was like. They didn't do anything that was inconsistent with the nature of God. Guess what? People in the New Testament, same exact thing. We don't have those series of laws, but we have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that God has given us to be a, lo- a light to a lost and dark world. That is what God's plan was to be able to win the loss, is to do it through the light that you and I reflect of the glory of God because of the position that he's ultimately given us. Let me say it this way. A lot of arguing again in these books on what's the best way to be able to reach a modern culture. And a lot of discussion is about lights. How do you use lights? You'll read all these things going, yes, you need to have lights to win people, but the lights that they're talking about is not the same lights that God is talking about. The light that he's talking about are the lights that we have on in here. And basically, some of the books will say, hey, listen, if you don't have really contemporary, really modern light and spend a lot of time in your lighting system, it goes, then you're not going to really be able to reach the lost. Now, that sounds surprising to some. But the other side sounds a little surprising too. So the other side comes back and goes, it doesn't matter what your lighting is. And matter of fact, if you put up that lighting, you're really trying to water down the gospel and you're trusting in something else. So what you really need to do is keep your old dingy uh, fluorescent lighting, uh, you know, all, all because that's more spiritual and that will reach people for Christ. I wanna let you know, neither one of those types of lights reach people for Jesus Christ. Now we're gonna be changing up some of our lighting coming in and you're gonna sit there and say, I thought you said it didn't reach people. Here's what I'm gonna say we at least want to look like we're trying. you understand what I'm saying? Listen, I, 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 when, when I was a much younger man, much fatter man, I had, I had a friend of mine come from college, saw me 50, 60 pounds heavier than what I was in college, and he came up to me and he goes, dude, you just, you're not even trying anymore, are you? You just, you just, look at you. You're just not even trying. And we're like, wow, I'm not even trying? That's what I'm conveying? Hey, listen, the lighting thing is because we don't want to look dingy. We want to be able to look nice and have a nice, ultimate environment, but there's no faith at all at, us at all, if we put in new lighting that more people are ultimately going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It just looks nice. Is that okay? Is that all right? I mean, we could really start promoting ugly if you want to, but ugly ain't going to win people either, so I'd rather things at least kind of be Nice. So, what the scriptures are saying is, no, listen, it's not about those types of lights. The type of light that is going to draw a lost and type world is the holiness and purity and the living out of the position that God has given you by his grace. When you live that out, listen to me. I I need you to get this desperately. All right, I'm going to to take one more step and it's going to help you. Uh, I don't talk politics very often, do I? No, not very often. I know. Some people are like, you need to. All right, I know. I understand. I just don't, and the reason is it's just immensely depressing, all right? I just can't, I can't even get into it. It's just, it's, it's immensely depressing. I'm just going to tell you my opinion. Everything is messed up, okay? I mean, everything is messed up. I'm trying to be a responsible citizen. I'm trying to keep up, trying to connect with the people, trying to be relevant, what they're worried about. I don't know how you watch it. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious, I'm watching debates that remind me a seventh grade gym class of me and my buddies going, uh-uh, yo, mama, your mama, you're ugly. Oh, yeah, you're ugly. All right, and I'm like, but these are grown adults, right? This, and then I'm thinking, this is the best we have to offer. All right, so don't put your faith in government. All right, that's the first thing that we need to be able to understand. And we look at this, and I hear people all the time sit back, and, and, and people, look, in all seriousness, people are very worried very worried, and very down, and people are fearful, and they're hoarding, right? You're, you wouldn't admit it, but you're hoarding, and, and, and they're do, what, what do we do? And the question keeps coming. I had somebody about a month ago ask me, they said, well, Brother Mike, what do we do? Why, is, why are more pastors talking about this? Why aren't you talking about this particular issue? So let me go ahead and address that now. You guys ready? So here's our plan. Like, what do we do? Do we need to pick it? <laughs> go pick it. Do we need to write letters? Go ahead and write your letters. They said, what do you do? Stick to the plan, man. Stick to God's plan. I'm so sick and tired, and this is all you're going to hear on this. I'm so sick and tired of hearing Christians blaming lost people for acting like lost people. It's what you do when you're lost. It's what you do when your whole mind and your whole heart and every part of you is bound into sin. When you are still in Adam, you act like Adam. And all these Christians pompously going around telling everybody that the cause and the problem of this world is because of its lostness. Well, yeah, that is a huge problem. But why don't you begin to take some responsibility for this? You are called to be the light and the salt of the earth. If the place That we are called to be able to preserve is falling apart. Then, what's your problem as a preservative? You and I, I'm not just pointing fingers at you, I'm telling you for myself the plan, everything is changing, but nothing has changed. It is not about us getting the right person in the thing by just saying, how can we get the right person in the White House? This is not a trickle-down system. This is a bottom-up system. If you and I were serious about making disciples of all nations and living holy lives before the people who are around us, they see that light, they begin to worship our God in heaven, there would be somebody different in the White House. That's the way that it works. So let's stick to the plan. God has given us this amazing position by His grace. You and I ought to be working as diligently as we can, working out our salvation every single day. And the plan is to allow that through the combination of the clear teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a difference and a transformation in the world around us. You with me? You sure? I think I lost you somewhere. All right, second thing, no ordinary audience. They were saints, second thing. there were no ordinary, this is no ordinary address. Now notice what he says here, because what he's doing is he's telling us how this ought to look as we're living it out. He's telling us how to do it. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what Paul does, again, remember I said this is no ordinary introduction, but he uses an ordinary method. And so what he does is he combines an ordinary Greek kind of greeting that he would to the Romans in a, in, in, in a, in a, in a Jewish greeting. And he takes them very and he blends them together. But what he does is he uses them now in a uniquely Christian way. They mean something different that they did within the secular world. So when he looks at grace, let me tell you what he means by grace. I think there's two things we primarily think of grace when we hear it. Two things that immediately come to mind, our, our mind. What is it? First of all, receiving something that you don't deserve. Would you agree with that? We, we, we believe that, we understand that, we sit back and, and every true believer in Jesus Christ would go, I am undeserving of his mercy, I'm undeserving of his grace, I'm, unforg- uh, I'm undeserving of his forgiveness. Would we all say that? Say, say amen or yes or right on or whatever, all right? Uh, there we go. But we don't take grace far enough. Because the true essence of grace is not simply that we're getting something that we, don't des- that, that, that we don't deserve, is the fact that we're not getting what we truly deserve. we actually deserve the very opposite of what it is that we, He is giving us. What we deserve is hell. What we deserve because we've rebelled against our creator God and all sovereign God. We deserve hell. We deserve to burn in hell for all eternity separated from our creator and suffer for it. And it would be just for us to be able to do so. So stop and think about it for a minute. Sometimes when Christians come around and, uh, you know, I don't always maybe respond in the way that I ought to. And and I'm trying to clean that up. But for years I would say this, as soon as somebody began to go, yeah, I don't deserve to be treated that way. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, I understand what you mean, but let's really begin to talk about what it ultimately is that we deserve. Anything short of a fiery hell for all eternity is the grace of God, amen? So we know that that's how we normally use it, but we understand that it goes further than just getting what we don't deserve. It's us actually not getting what we do deserve. There's a second aspect I think of grace when we think of grace, and that is we think of the forgiveness of sins that God's grace is to forgive our sins. And w- w- are we grateful for that, right? And-, and we understand that you can't out-sin the grace of God. Isn't that true? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You with me this morning on that? It's a wonderful thing. And we understand that. And all of that is absolutely true. And all of that is absolutely glorious. But the aspect of grace that we forget about is this. is the same grace that he gives us to forgive us of our sins. It's the same grace he makes available and extends to us to allow us to be obedient to him so that forgiveness is less needed. Did you hear what I said? So what Paul's doing is he's saying, you are saints by your position, but you practically need to live it out, and you need to live it out so that my original plan is going to take part. He goes, here's what you need to do. How are you gonna do that? Through my grace. You're gonna do it through my grace each and every day you say how do we live this life by god's grace it's not just for you and i to sit there and to go god i fail we fail yes is his grace there yes But I wanna let you know, I'm not gonna be one of those believers who sits back and only thinks about failures. I wanna think about the successes because God didn't come just to forgive me of my sins. He came to change me in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And what I'm telling you is a new believer, as somebody who is new in Christ, has a new position in Christ, as a saint, God has given you that ability with the power of the Holy Spirit and his grace will allow you to do it. That's what he means there when he talks about grace. But there's something else that he talks about here and that is peace. Not only talks about grace, but he talks about specifically peace. And the peace I think that he has in mind here, undoubtedly, is going to be the peace with God. And what that means, if you don't know this, is that if we are not born again, if we've not repented and placed our faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, we are enemies of God. We are enmity with God because we are rebelling against him. And that means that he is our enemy. When a person is born again, places their faith in Jesus Christ, repents, then what happens is we become children of God and that wrath is is, is satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. That judgment is removed and there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we mean by peace with God. No longer an enemy, but now a father. But there's a second aspect to that. When Paul talks about peace in his writings, he begins to say that there's also an everyday peace that God has available for us. It is a byproduct of, uh, of two things. Number one, of our minds being set on the things above, above and secondly, a byproduct of walking in fellowship with him. Let me, let me break those apart. Let's go back to what's happening in our nation again. All right? People are wigging out. People are freaking out. Let me give you a little bit of biblical advice. I'm a doctor, so let me go ahead and give you a prescription. Here it is, okay? Here's my first prescription for you to stop freaking out I'm writing you a prescription for 30 minutes of news a day. That's it. No watching it for hours upon hours. No listening to it for hours upon hours. Get away from all this. And you're going to sit there and say, this is unbiblical. It's absolutely biblical, this prescription for you. You need to understand that what you're listening to, I don't care if it's w- what side of the eye. Everybody has a purpose, and they are trying to drive home that pur- They're not just telling you facts. They're telling you the interpretation of their facts, and they're getting you wired up. And they're getting you fired up. And that's why they make millions of dollars to be able to do what they do because they make people angry. All right? Why is everybody angry? I don't know why I'm angry. Quit listening to all of it. Listen to 30 minutes so that you know what's going on and then walk away. You say, what's so biblical about that? Listen to the promise that the scriptures give us. In Romans 8:6. it says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Peace think on things on earth, but set your mind on things above. That's where peace is. Second thing is for what we do. This is how we receive uh, um, uh, peace is a byproduct of walking in fellowship with God. Listen to Romans 2, 9, 9 through 10. There will be tribulation and distress for every, every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and this, peace for everyone who does good. So, This goes back to our strategy of being saints, right? And the plan that God has for us. A lot of people are going around, the reason that they're freaking out is because two things. One is their mind is not focused on what it ought to be focused on. And number two, they're not being obedient to the plan that God has called you and I to plan, to be a part of. What God has said to do, listen to me, as simple as I can. If you've been born again, you've repented, you've placed your faith in him. He, by his amazing grace, has made you a saint. He has set you apart. He has broken those bonds of sin set you apart for you to trust in him and submit your whole life to him. And as you and I are striving to do it every single day by the power and the grace of God that he's made available to us, not only to forgive us, but also to empower us to do what he's called us to do, a lost and dying world begins to see that. They begin to see that. And we begin to see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But what's wonderful about it is the byproduct of that is in the midst of all this garbage, we have peace. We have peace. See, that's the difference between the world's peace and the peace that only God can give. That's what he says. This is peace from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this is the idea of, of grace and peace in the world. Grace, according to the world, is luck. That's how they define it. Hey, man, you wouldn't believe this. I can't believe this. This good stuff happening to me. I'm the luckiest sucker in the world don't hear a believer shouldn't hear a believer doing that because we believe that every good and perfect gift comes from above from our father who is above every good and perfect gift we don't believe in luck we believe in the grace of god the second thing is is peace the way that people believe that peace is is the only way peace is, is 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 possible is if every difficulty in your entire life is taken out of your life and that will never happen here but when a believer in jesus christ begins to live out the position that has been given to him what he begins to do is because his mind is set on what it ought to be, and because he's doing what God has called him to do, even in the midst of the chaos around us, there's peace. So, what do we do? I think what we do is this morning, before we take the Lord's Supper, we rejoice in our position that we had no, no part in obtaining. I think the second thing we do is that we give all we can to the practice of the saints in the name that God has given us to live a holy life in full submission to God. I think the third thing that we do is that we stick to the plan that God has laid out to reach a lost and dying world by submitting to him and encompassing a life that has been wrecked and radically changed by the gospel and, and, and through that life clearly speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are around us. And how do we do this? We do all of it based on the grace of God while enjoying the peace of God that he has given us through our obedience in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And God, I hope that this morning was pleasing to you and helpful to our people and timely to what's going on. Lord, help us to understand what you want it would have us to do. God, everything has changed, but for us, the believer, nothing has changed, nothing. Let's keep living the life that you've called us to do. God, would you call more people out today? Would you save more people and set them apart to be saints by the grace and the mercy of God this morning? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask you if you would at this time just to stand. And this is just gonna, the altar is open, but let's do business with God before we take the Lord's Supper this morning. Whatever it is, just do business with him as we sing together.